Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for a spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. Now, on today's show, Holly Copeland is joining us. She is a scientist and a neurohacker, so blending neurotech and ancient wisdom traditions to help people move from chaos to clarity. We'll be talking about how she cracked the code to upgrade from ordinary mind to stepping into what she calls the flow life. We might even get to hear a little bit about wearable technology and how it can help supercharge our potential. Are you ready to meet her? Holly Copeland brings expertise and training as a certified human potential and neuromeditation coach, Reiki master, sound therapy healer, and scientist. She applies those to help people live from a place of grace, purpose, and heart-mind. Following a 20-year career as a scientist at the Nature Conservancy, the University of Wyoming, and as a mom of twins, Holly understands the demands of juggling a busy professional career and the struggle of feeling in your head with the constant demands of an analytical mind. She combines ancient practices like meditation and awareness-based mindfulness with modern science and technology, supporting people on their journey to know and love themselves and make the lasting measurable changes they desire. You can find out more about Holly and her work at heartmindalchemy.com. Holly, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm really delighted to be here. So when I hear science and then I hear ancient wisdom, sometimes we hold those ideas as things that are kind of at opposite ends of a continuum. We use science to kind of chip away or uh, not acknowledge ancient wisdom. We use ancient wisdom sometimes as a way to get farther away from science. How did you discover that intersection and what does that mean to you? Yeah, um, the beautiful question. Thank you. Um, you know, I think the story starts to just set the stage that when I was in my teen years, I was I was pretty into spirituality, um, into metaphysics, and you know, read lots of books. And then I, I went to college, got a career. I landed a very like a dream job um, with the Nature Conservancy, and I gotten a, a degree and in science. And so I went on to basically help um, for me at that age was to help save the planet, right? So help uh, with an environmental organization do science and help guide their work. And the two worlds of science and spirituality were quite separate for me for all of that time. So most of my life. And then about four years ago, I started to feel pretty burnt out in my job at the Conservancy. It's a wonderful organization, but just the demands of life and various things piled up. And I was feeling pretty burnt out. And then I actually got sick with um, mold illness, mold poisoning. Mm-hmm. And, and it was horrendous and awful. And I didn't feel safe. And I couldn't figure out why I was so sick. And, um, and those two things collided. And it you know, I, I worked my way through them. I actually quit my job and um, got another job uh, with the University of Wyoming that was 
helped solve some of the some of the stress that I was feeling. I also was able to, with the help of functional doctors, um, uh, figure out, actually identify that it was mold poisoning, and then get some solutions. And I started to get well. And as I started to get well, I was feeling really good, but also, as maybe it happens for people in that kind of mid fifties, also just or, or, or late forties is what I am. So, that, but that kind of midlife time of kind of taking a hard look at everything, everything in your life. And I'd been the type of person who, you know, paid a lot of attention to my diet, paid a lot of attention to going to the gym and staying healthy. But the one thing that I really had never, I'm going to say tackled or really addressed was that mind, that monkey chattering mind in my head. And there was something about getting well that made me really want to take that seriously. And the fact that I tried meditation for years on and off and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't quite grok it and figure out what am I supposed to do here? And I can't figure out if I'm doing it right. And it just felt hard. And I would you know, kind of resolved that running was my meditation or walking was my meditation. But at this point in my life, I really decided I wanted to hack my mind and understand my mind better. And I actually wrote at the top of my journal in, in January of 2019, my rewire your brain project. Hmm. Um, I started to read a lot about the mind and I kind of took a science oriented approach because I'm a scientist and read about brain waves, read about binaural beats, I to really understand and I took I went to a meditation retreat and just really dove in like a scientist I guess and I used some tools I used some neurotech tools and the deeper I got into the mind it was like I fell down a rabbit hole into you know I, what I went into was just to quiet my mind honestly I didn't go in thinking I was going to go into an all-in awakening spiritual journey but in fact that's what happened because the deeper I got into it, the more I realized that, you know, meditation inherently isn't really about mindfulness. I mean, mindfulness ultimately is about awakening. It's about awakening to the truth of who we really are. It's not separate from them. Um, and I've been on that journey ever since. And it took me into places I had no idea uh, I, I, I would go into. And I came out the other side, the calm, happy. I, I basically discovered who I really was. And I'm still on that journey, of course, and it's evolving. But I discovered that our essential nature is peace, is happiness, and that we can learn to live from that every day. That's not something we can just have to do on vacation or on the weekends when our kids are finally quiet and in bed. It's That's a false setup. And to me, it's the happy place. It's the happiness that everybody is is ultimately seeking. I love that idea that mindfulness is about awakening. And one of the things that I believe is true and try to practice. And when I say practice, I mean, get it wrong almost all the time. And then every once in a while, I'll get it right and feel great and then go back to getting it wrong most of the time. But one of the things that I believe and try to practice is that that awakening is something that can happen in every breath. So that unlike, for example, proving a scientific principle, I don't know, I have now proven that when I do this, this happens all the time, that when I awaken to myself, I'm opening a new possibility with every breath. That that rabbit hole that you fell down, for example, just goes and goes and goes and goes. I don't feel like there's an end to it. 
And to me, when I look at that intersection between science and ancient wisdom, it's using the, using the tools that we have, using what we know about the mind and about our bodies and being open to discover more and more and more and more as part of that awakening that just keeps going. Do you know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets me excited because it's about, it's about curiosity and that curiosity when we will allow ourselves to unleash it can take us in some really fantastic directions. Yeah, it really can. And I love that you use the word curiosity because science is inherently about curiosity. I mean, all scientists are basically little kids who are playing in the creek trying to, you know, dissect a little, you know, or examine a frog or a flower, you know, or, you know, just trying to understand the world. That's, you know, like I was the kid who couldn't stop asking questions ever. You know, that's what science is. And when we apply that in a very open way to our mind and consciousness, and we rather than, than, uh, coming with a, a preconceived notion of what could be possible based on, you know, something, uh, previous science, but really stay open to all the possibilities. And then we apply that in the spiritual context. It's boundless, right? There is no limit because we are limitless. We are fundamentally boundless, timeless, spaceless. That's consciousness. That's what we're made of infinite divine being. So what does it mean to hack into something, whether it's consciousness or something else? I'm assuming you don't mean grab and, and take apart by force, right? So what does it mean to hack in? <laughs> I think hacking in is just my kind of fun way of saying really start to, to dive in and, and understand um, and, and become the that. Um, and yeah, for me, the, the consciousness, the awareness so is, is so fundamental to all to this spiritual journey, right? It ultimately, it's this investigation of who we truly are. Um, as I said, infinite, boundless, timeless, which is what we discover when we, when we meditate, if we, you know, when we really look at what meditation is, is, is the return home. It's the ceasing of going out into the substance of our experience, into things, and returning back into that which we already are, um, which is whole, which is also, you know, um, yeah, our, our essence, our divine being, our awareness, our innate knowingness of who we, of, of what this really is, who we really are. For people listening who are curious about how we might start to hack into our consciousness, hack into that flow where we start to open those doors, what's the best way to start? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I became a student of the what's so-called direct path. And, you know, there are kind of two approaches to the awakening journey. There's the kind of traditional um, Theravadan Buddhism path that is, you know, longer meditations focusing on the breath. 
where you ultimately kind of see through the illusion of, of what's happening and you return into this silent, you, you create so much space and silence that you finally come back home to that which you really are. But, and, and I am doing that and do that, but I also am a student really of the direct path, which is a, this going straight to the goal, which is our awareness, which is understanding and knowing the fundamental nature of the fact that we are aware is the key to everything. The awareness that you are, that, which is fundamentally no more complicated than seeing that, you know, I, right, Karen, you are aware. I am aware. I know that I am aware because I can look at an object, you know, you can do this now, you know, look at something in your room and everybody who's listening can do this. And you see that object, I'm looking at a lamp and I see that the lamp has edges and boundaries. And then I can come back to my awareness, that which knows the lamp and start to investigate the qualities of that awareness. So see that that awareness is fundamentally not bound by those edges, is not actually bound in, in any kind of time or space, that that awareness has been with you your whole life and it's never changed. No matter how many experiences you've had, they, haven't, they don't have the capacity to change that fundamental innate being. And we start to really, like a scientist, one of the teachers I really loved, uh, especially for his kind of scientific approach to this, is a man named Rupert Spira um, in Great Britain. And he, um, among many others that I have studied, really talks about just coming back to this knowing essence and, and looking very clearly at what that, about the nature of that essence. You know, this is, this, this is this knowing that you aren't your thoughts, essentially. You can't be your thoughts because something is aware that you're thinking. Something is aware that you're having this experience right now as you listen. And we turn our attention around, like a U-turn almost, towards that attention and start to really notice the qualities of it. Notice that the same being you were when you were 10, that same awareness is the same awareness you have now that it actually hasn't ever changed. No experience you've ever had fundamentally changes the nature of that. And so we start to really go into that awareness, the I am spoken about in the spiritual traditions and start to take it really seriously like a scientist, you know. And um, I feel that for me, that understanding that working with the direct path um, has been the most clarifying in my life. This, you know, Eckhart Tolle, when he's speaking, millions and millions of people listen to him about this presence that you are, right? This is tapping into the same thing, but it's a little bit more of a direct pointing to this same presence that you are. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Holly Copeland. You can find out more about Holly and her work at Heart mindalchemy.com. I'm curious because I've been seeing a lot of new focus on devices, things we can wear, things that um, sort of almost claim to do the work for us. 
to bring us to awareness, to bring us to kind of a deeper state of meditation or contemplation or better sleep. And I'm wondering what, I know you you said before that you wore stuff, you found wearable tech that helped you. I'm really interested to know what you think about using devices to help us with this awareness. And if there are any things that we should maybe be aware of that aren't going to work so well. I see some stuff out there that looks like junk to me, to be very honest. Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, I think ultimately, and maybe this is 50 years away, maybe this is 100 years away, ultimately humanity, humanity has all the tools we need. We don't need devices to access our true consciousness, to access this fundamental state of well-being. However, I think that they can be a beautiful aid, especially getting started. And the device that I first got is a, is a device, a wearable technology called Muse, the Muse headband. And I will forever credit and be thankful for Muse because it allowed me to hear my brain waves while I was meditating. And when I first put on the Muse and could hear, the, the way this device works is if your brain is active, you get a lot of rain. And when your brain quiets, the rain quiets. You get really quiet. Little birds chirp. <laughs> it's really brilliant. When I first put that on, it was like a big wow for me. Like, oh my God, I can actually finally hear the thoughts in my head in a more tangible way. And I can hear when I'm successful at quieting them. And... I, it felt like it was a, it was a bit like train, I call it like training wheels for meditation. <laughs> but from somebody who hadn't been successful at meditating, training wheels are a really good place to start, right? Especially if you're trying to do it home alone without a, another teacher helping. And I am a huge fan of teachers. So I think everybody should, should have help and teacher, teachers along this path. But I still use the Muse. I, I use it in a little bit of a a different way now. So I used it, I'm just going to say, I used it at first to just know what it felt like to quiet my mind. And that was huge. And it, it really helped me in those initial first months. And I went from really feeling like my brain was polluted with thoughts all the time mm. to like legitimately a quieter mind. And it felt amazing. So it, it was awesome for that. Um, it has a really important role. And I you know, highly encourage people to check it out if they've, you know, if meditation's been hard and they just want to, you know, start to get into it. It's a great tool. And there's wonderful communities on the, on the web that you can go on that support. I run one called Heart Mind Alchemy Lab on Facebook. And there's people that just share their meditation practice and their um, graphs. You produce, there's kind of two ways to use Muse. There's the sort of regular app way. And then there's, you can track your brain waves and see a graph of your meditations. Um, I started doing that and um, I did it for two years and it helped me understand when I was shifting into a deeper state of meditation, I started to learn what my mind looked like. Um, it was super cool and fun and lots of people, um, are, like I said, now, now doing this and sharing on, on our community. And I think it really helps to keep their practice going, be a strong source of motivation, um, learn something while you're meditating. So I think it, yeah, I think it plays a, a really important role. And I'm, I'm glad those tools are there. I'm very thankful that they're there. 
I don't know. So I think we're kind of uh, wired, I guess, to to want a reward or to want one of the things. So I've taught intuitive development for a long time and been a spiritual teacher for a long time. One of the things that students say to me is I want to know this is working and I want to know right away. And it's, it feels to me like something like the device you're talking about gives you almost immediate feedback. Yes, this is working. And even if you second guess yourself, hearing the shift in those sounds, if I've understood you correctly, lets you know you're on the right path. And it kind of comes into that comes into that place, especially when we're beginning spiritual practice, where we we're like, okay, I'm doing it now. I should. Am I? Am I really doing it? Did I do it wrong? Maybe I should do it more. Should I stop? No, never mind. And then we wander away and do something else. It might help people stay more engaged on the path. Yeah, exactly, Karen. That's what it did for me personally. Exactly, it was like I just didn't know if I was doing it right at first, and it gave me confidence that I was. And it was super helpful for that. You know, we go to the gym and, you know, we don't go to the gym without like having some sense of what we should be doing. You know, we either get a trainer or we, you know, study with friends. So we have a sense when we leave of like what we did and a sense of accomplishment, just like you're saying. And meditation, we don't really have that. And I feel like this tool is like a trainer, you know, that you can have in your home for meditation. Why is this turn inward so important to our happiness in all the areas of our life, not just how we are in ourself, but how we are with other people and with the planet as part of the collective. You just dropped out a little bit. Can you restate your question? Sure. I was wondering how this turn inward, this focus on meditation, this new awareness, this waking up, helps us in other areas of our life too, the way that we connect with other people and the way we connect with the planet, with the collective. Yeah. Um, for me, it's, it's everything that inner peace creates peace in the world. Like it's that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons I was really burnt out at the nature conservancy was because I felt like there was never enough. I was working in a bottomless hole that had no end. And it was, it became really disheartening for me. I was just kind of in despair about the environment to be perfectly honest and kind of given up on humanity forever getting it right. And I kind of came to a point where it was like, do I live with this despair for the rest of my life? Is that what I do? And I just keep doing my little part and hoping that that's enough. And what I came to was that was a false, that that kind of despair comes from a place of a, of a bottomless hole, of feeling like actually that lack comes from not being able to know ourselves and, and to know the divinity that we really are. And that when we find that divinity and wholeness, the lack magically isn't there. It goes away because... There isn't anywhere to go. There's nothing to get or get to. It's like it's suddenly all okay, as broken and imperfect and horrendous as all the things humanity are doing. It's actually all okay at the ultimate level. Hmm. And that the greatest thing that we can do is to turn and find our wholeness, find our innate goodness, loving being and be that for ourselves and others. And that 
when we do that, when we find that within ourselves first, so put on your own oxygen mask, and then you bring that wholeness into every interaction you have, every conversation, every person you meet, whether it's you know, at the grocery store or it's a dear friend or it's a parent you're trying to help, like you're no longer, you don't, it's, you don't not know where the ground is. You have the ground and you can stand in that ground and be everything you want to be for yourself and for everyone else. And that in my view, that wholeness is what saves us and is what saves the world. Holly, thank you so much for talking with me today. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me on, Karen. You're very welcome. That is Holly Copeland, and you can find out more about Holly and her work at heartmindalchemy.com. That Facebook group that she mentioned is Heart Mind Alchemy Lab, and that is on Facebook. And of course, you can always find me at karenhager.com. It's a great place to find out about what's coming up next on this radio program and other classes and events. You can also book a private session there with me if you are so inclined. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Fog City Psychic. And I've started to put these podcasts up on YouTube, just the audio, but we're building a little channel over there. So go over and check it out. If you search for Karen Hager on YouTube, I should pop right up. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world. And a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.